26 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Butler, joined today with Melissa Kavanaugh. Hello. Pete Mayer. Hello. And Misha Bakikio. Hello. Is that all you guys have to say? Yes. Just hello. You meant to do like this big intro and get it all excited. Welcome get, back, get, everybody. Get the audience Woo! excited. We've Week been doing 26. this. 26. We're back. Exactly. We've been doing this for 26 episodes now. We should be professionals. God, we're point. getting old. We're post grads. Mm-hmm. We're starting to slip into that post grad depression. We've gained some weight. <laughs> it's been happening for many, many years for me, but it's okay. I'm going to shake it eventually. And today, we're going to be talking about hotel marketing as well as my waistline. But before we do. <laughs> and other unimpressive things. <laughs> hey, my waistline is pretty impressive. Yeah, we were actually looking at some videos of old fuel stuff, and somebody made a comment like, wow, Stuart's trimmed up since whenever that video was. I think it was like 2012 or 2013. Trimmed up? You know yeah. what? Since I moved to America, here's a little story, side note. No one, <laughs> no one cares. It's listening, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Americans eat too much food. Yes. Right? When I came yes. over to America, admittedly I was in my early 20s, and you know I was a lot more active. But I came over, and, and I eat way too much food, and if it's in front of me, I have to eat it. So I put on... Like 30, 40 pounds since I've moved to America at various times. I kind of fluctuate. But I got two other good English friends that are over here as well. And they've both been here. One's been here about two years longer than me. And the other's been here about four years longer than me. And we are in ascending weight order. So the longer you're here in America, the more weight you put on. It's official. There's a, there's a sample size three of three. Three people. Yeah, it's a three-person <laughs> sample size. So it's statistically valid, obviously. I've been here my whole life. And I agree with that. that yeah. So when I first came to America, yeah. I only weighed about eight pounds. <laughs> yeah. So if you look at the, that timeline, yeah, I, I, mean, I believe what you're saying. You did, so now my sample size is four. It's proven. There you go. You heard it here first. All right. So let's talk about some hotel stuff. So what is going on in the news, Misha? Well, I have a lovely article from Skift that discusses a study that was done by IdeaWorks company and they were basically looking at all of the different hotel loyalty and rewards programs and they ranked Wyndham as the top contender for the best hotel rewards program. And this is after earlier this year another study was done by US News and World Report and they also ranked Wyndham at the top of their list for the same criteria. So the article kind of goes into, you know, what they look for in all of these hotel rewards programs. It lists um, some other ones like Choice Privileges, Hilton, H Honor, Starwood Preferred Guests. And um, the Wyndham one, they liked that one the best and they ranked that on the top because you get the most for your money, essentially. So um, the percentage that, that they give out is a 13.6% as an average what you get back. So you spend $100, in most cases you'll get $13.60 back. Whereas when they looked at that for other properties and other programs, you just really weren't getting that value back. And some, they pointed out, did have um, like more perks on property if you were staying at a luxury brand. Um, you might get the, you know, the best Wi-Fi or you might have a concierge assigned to you. But when it came down to it, you know, most travelers are not staying at the top end luxury brands and they're not getting access to those, you know, benefits from those brands. So I thought it was pretty interesting that Wyndham seems to be really catering to across the board all of their travelers and not really segmenting 
their points or their loyalty programs or whatever just to to kind of meet that top tier criteria. I think a lot of the programs kind of do skew it that way, and I like that theirs was across the board, and I think clearly it's working well for them because they're getting some recognition for it. Well, I mean, just look at the rewards that they're giving. I mean, 13% is insane. It shows you the value that they're putting into their loyalty program and the value they're putting behind getting a repeat guest. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds insane, right? But the alternative is people booking through Expedia or going somewhere else. And if they book through a third party, it's, you know, 20% plus. So they're already saving money. Plus with loyalty, you've got to understand there's a lot of breakage. So mm-hmm. you, a lot of people are not going to redeem that. So although the value is 13%, say this 50% redemption, it's really only 7-ish percent, you know? Mm-hmm. So... Um, I, I think this is great. I think the other thing to note, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, is loyalty to me is is the battleground of the next year or two. I think hotels are really beginning to sharpen the the offers they're giving. They're not only giving these stay two nights, get one free kind of long-term loyalties, but they're giving a lot more if you book direct type loyalty, mm-hmm. the surprise and delight that we've talked about a lot in this show things that are instant rewards for booking direct, for being loyal, for doing stuff like signing up for the loyalty program. So I think, you know, Wyndham's obviously leading the way, but I think a lot of other people are investing heavily, really heavily in their loyalty programs. I would agree. And I think it's going to be key as well, like I pointed out earlier, to make sure that these rewards are accessible across all of the different levels of your hotel brands or if you're an independent you know making sure you're not reserving this for just your top guest i mean sure perhaps have something else for them but make sure you're taking care of all your guests yeah it's it's about making them feel special and even if you're one single property independent hotel don't think that you're too small to have a loyalty program because you're really not because you can make people happy while they're there (laughs) by saying hey if you sign up for this you get 10% off at the restaurant. You know what? That just made them happy, but it also drives more people to the restaurant and gets you better reviews so that now your reputation's higher, so now you can charge a higher ADR. So it, it kind of, it, it's all part of this big flywheel that just propels your the success of your property. So come up with unique, significant incentives for people to be loyal to you. And loyalty doesn't necessarily mean they're going to come every year, but it means that they really had a good experience and they're going to go promote you after their stay and perhaps come and stay again. But really you want them to leave being really pleasantly surprised and an advocate for your property because that's how you'll get new business. Not just them, but their friends and their neighbors and their family as well. Yeah, and really the hotels aren't the only ones building these loyalty programs. And this is really this is my segue to my news item, which is the Hotel Tonight is launching their loyalty program. This was on VentureBeat.com, and what they did is went into detail about Hotel Tonight's new app and rewards program, which is really interesting. The way theirs is set up, it has a little bit of gamification to it, to where as you earn more points and stays, you increase in levels. So a level one guest is anyone who spends 100 bucks. Level two is you get to $750. And then the ultimate level, level three, is anyone who spends $1,500 during their time on the the loyalty program. And each level gives you more and more of a discount. So I think you start like at 5% and you work your way up to 10 or 15% off your stays. What's so significant about this, one is it's something that's fun, people want to be involved in, but it's also hotels tonight. It's not an individual property. And it's one of those cases where we see that the OTAs are starting to encroach on that loyalty market 
And it's important for hotels to make sure they have a good loyalty program in place now. So while these OTA loyalty programs grow in popularity, they already have a nice customer base. Yeah, the battle for the ownership of the guest is here and now. And if you're not involved in some form of loyalty, then you're going to lose that to an Expedia, to to an Airbnb, to a hotels tonight. One of those guys are going to get the ownership of that guest and you lose or reduce your your chance of getting them to become an advocate of your brand and a loyal return guest of your brand. So get on this. This is not a fad. This is something that you really need to take seriously today. Go start figuring out your loyalty program if you don't already have one. Well, I was going to point out too, you said Airbnb, but I don't think as of now they have a loyalty program. But it, now that Hotel Tonight, you know, coming. these type of apps are coming, I feel like they're just you know, short window out. They've got to be on this bandwagon sooner or later. It's absolutely coming, no question. All right, what else do we have? All right, well, the next one is a, a shout out really to Airbnb. Uh, right now we're recording this podcast a day early because Hurricane Matthews rushing up the coast right now in Florida and coming towards South Carolina. But Airbnb is doing something really awesome. They've built a system that allows Airbnb property owners to basically give their property to anybody looking to evacuate. They have a nice little interface on their site where you can choose, I'm evacuating or I have a place I wanna give someone to evacuate. And it really does help people looking for a place to go connect with the person who has you know, a place for them to stay. It's one of the things where they don't have to do this, but it really does show the power and how nimble this social sharing platform can be. Yeah, it's really cool. And I think it's an interesting situation because you've got over half a million people that are having to evacuate because of this hurricane in South Carolina alone. And we've been glued to that because our headquarters are in Model Beach, South Carolina, and we have an evacuation order starting earlier today in certain areas. And our offices are actually going to be closed tomorrow. But every day or twice a day, we've been watching Governor Nikki Haley talk about the evacuation plan and, and lane reversals on roads and all this stuff. And every time she's talked about evacuations, she's been saying, Hotels are getting full. There's literally about 20 units that they found that are available in Myrtle Beach or in South Carolina because, you know, the big destinations like Myrtle Beach, Hilton Head, places like that are evacuated. You don't want to stay there. Yeah. And you can't stay there. And people that live there are having to move to the, the central areas and those are all filled, filled up. They just don't have the inventory. So every time she's done a press conference, she said, go to Airbnb and look for places to stay. Mm -hmm. And so they've been getting a lot of free coverage and there's probably a lot of people that hadn't even considered Airbnb before, but now they're being forced to use that tool because they don't have a choice. There aren't hotels available. So this is really, I mean, I I think it's great that Airbnb is doing it, but really they're going to benefit from this long term Mm -hmm. because they're getting a lot of potential people that would never have used Airbnb to use it for the first time. And that's always the biggest <clears throat> bottleneck. Getting someone to use your product or service for the first time is, is the biggest hurdle. Once you've done it once, you're a lot more likely to get them to do it again, which yeah. kind of parlays into today's subject as well. You know, it's interesting looking at the list of rooms that are available on Airbnb, at least for South Carolina. And they're doing this also in Florida. This is really where it initially started. It's not people who are necessarily experienced Airbnb property owners. There's a lot of pictures on here of somebody with, you know, a cot laid out, one bedroom, you know, for free. So it's really just community people saying, hey, I have an extra room in my house. 
I typically don't do Airbnb, but I'm going to go ahead and put my extra bedroom up there so somebody has a place to stay. Yeah, it's the sharing economy. You know, it's mm-hmm. just where a lot of things are going in our society. You know, we talk a lot about the, the hatred and the bigotry and, the, and all the the nastiness in society today but really at the same time all that's happening there's this big sharing economy boom happening and and i think that ultimately is going to overtake any of the negativity that we have in society Mm -hmm. it's a good thing to see that people come together in an hour of need like this so um yeah it's great good job airbnb i mean it's great marketing but also great humanitarian effort as well yeah, if I had more than one bedroom that was not in Myrtle Beach, I would totally throw all my space on there. <laughs> hey, you can come and stay in our house, but you have to evacuate. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think it's, it's really cool. And, you know, kudos to them for taking the extra effort and putting that together. Yeah, that's neat. All right, so let's shift gears and go into our topic of the week, which, you know, sometimes we'll cover articles we wrote. Sometimes we'll just cover a new topic. But sometimes, like today, we cover, we find an article that really we like so much it resonates with us it says a lot of things that we were thinking but we hadn't had a chance to write down yet so we just want to kind of go over that or get inspired by that article and today is one of those instances so this is an article that came from uh, copy hackers and it was written by talia wolf who is the cmo at um, banana splash but she wrote talia wrote this article which was basically talking about a very often underutilized asset on your website, which is the thank you page or that page that you get to after some form of conversion, whether that's an email sign up, whether that's in our context from a hotel perspective, whether that's a confirmation page. Um, but she, she wrote this awesome article about seven ways that she improves uh, conversion rate and uh, traction with guests and loyalty through uh, optimization of the thank you page. So that's the article we're going to talk about today. We're going to link to that from the show notes. Uh, but let's uh, let's talk about that article, guys. Let's talk about our <laughs> typical conversion funnel when we talk about hotels. There's either one thing that we're trying to get done, which is obviously get people to book a hotel room, or there's a secondary conversion that maybe we're getting both at the same time, but we want them to sign up for something. They, we want them to sign up for an email, we want them to fill out a contact form or some other kind of form on the site. So if we think about that conversion funnel process, and we've talked about this numerous times on the podcast, you know, your visitors are coming in from some sort of marketing, then they get to your website and they get to either your sign up form or to the booking engine, to the checkout page, and then to a confirmation page. Um, and that's our typical conversion funnel. And it ends, right? And that's it ends. How we that's consider. where we think, that, uh, uh, thank you, that's where we think that it ends. But, right, our work here is done. Yes. But that's not the case. And Talia makes some very good points about why that's not the case. Uh, the other thing is email address. Like people talk about, you know, someone coming in from, again, marketing, getting an email pop up or seeing an email sign up, filling it out, and getting just a page that says, thank you. And that's it. it it's, it's a dead Hi, end. Thanks. Yeah. Have a great day. What is the the Simpson? Thank you. Come again. Like that's it. <laughs> yeah. The poo. <laughs> yeah. The poo. That's what it is. The poo approach. There you go. Which is a poo approach, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I think we all know what you're saying. <laughs> uh, so you guys want to go into why we think these thank you pages are actually so valuable? That would be swell. So we. Reading this article, um, you know, we thought Talia had a lot of really good points, and in particular, she really drove home how you can integrate some really basic psychology principles into your marketing and really, you know, hit on some of these touch points to get someone to do something else. 
So the first one that she points out is something that's known as successive approximations. We actually think about this in marketing a lot. We just call it something a little bit different. Um, or in sales, you might call it the foot in the door approach, something that we're all probably familiar with. But the concept is basically that you've already gotten them to do one thing. Once you get them to do that initial thing, it's a lot easier to get them to continue to do things. So you've already got them to sign up for your email list or you've already got them to book. You know, let's give them a link to a blog page or a testimonials page or, you know, something else to get them to do. It's a lot easier to do that once you've already completed one step. It's a really um, simple approach, but a really important one as well. Another thing that a great thank you page will do, hopefully, is help minimize some of the um, cognitive dissonance. And we've talked about that in the past before, just where people, you know, they purchase something and then they ha start having doubts about it. So, you know, we might experience this when we're out shopping at Target or something. You buy something and then you immediately start having some regrets about it. Online shoppers have that same experience sometimes where they get to that confirmation page and they just booked a big vacation and they're like, ugh. You know, it's buyer's remorse and you mm -hmm. start to doubt yourself. Yeah. yeah, especially, you know, when you're booking a hotel room is a lot different than buying a t-shirt online. So you really start to, you know, doubt that. And if you have a blank thank you page, that's not really helping that at all. Yeah, that's the time to immediately start to combat that negative feeling that the customer has. It's not just the cost of the vacation to a customer. In most cases, this is their only vacation of the entire year. And if you just kind of leave them to it, you don't know what's going through their mind. So you really need to pick them up right from that thank you page and make them feel good about that purchase. Yeah, they're there. looking for reassurance at that point. Mm -hmm. They're looking for someone to affirm the decision they've already made. I mean, that's why back in the day before TripAdvisor was top of the, or the beginning of the funnel and end of the funnel, people use it more throughout the funnel now. TripAdvisor, when it really first started, was at the end of the funnel, and it, it sometimes post-booking. We would see people book a hotel and then go to TripAdvisor to read the reviews because they just wanted to clarify, make sure, okay, did I make, is my, is my wife or my husband going to be mad at me because I did this, or am I spending my money wisely? So uh, people are always looking for some kind of reassurance. Yeah, when you look at the, the booking engines that are doing a really good job, it's those ones that even before the booking and afterward, it says 10 people have booked this room where there's four of these rooms left. There's, mm -hmm. you know, so many people are looking at this type of unit. Well, it's giving that social proof too. Right. Yeah. yeah and, you know, combating that even from, you know, a booking engine perspective, once you get to that confirmation page, you know, give them some of, she points this out as well as her second point, some post-purchase rationalization. So bring them to some testimonials. You know, we've, she points out a lot of good examples that have, um, different examples of people saying what a great experience they had, whether it was a product or service. So, you know, just give them something to kind of confirm that decision that they did make a good choice by staying at your hotel. And then also, this is the first chance that you're gonna have with a person to begin forming that personalized relationship with them. So even on that thank you page, go ahead and start that process. You know, from a hotel perspective, you've already booked that room. Go ahead and insert their name into that. You know, say thank you, Melissa, so much for booking. We really look forward to seeing you next July for your vacation at our property or whatever it might be. Just go ahead and start that relationship and start building that. 
Yeah, and I think that's a really good opportunity to get specific. Is if you're a small property and you have a unique story, or if you're like a mom and pop property and and you own it and it's your story and you're the what person that is going to check them in and you know you're an innkeeper in the traditional sense of the word. Why not introduce yourself at that point, right? Because this is they've already committed to your property, so why not start getting to know them and you them getting to know you? So put a photo of you and your, your spouse. And tell them, and your dog, or whatever it is, like whatever's unique about your little property and why people find it quaint and, you know, they want to come back here. If you're like a bed and breakfast or an inn or something like that, this is perfect opportunity mm-hmm. to introduce them to you and your personality and what's unique and separates your your property. Because they may not have seen it. They may have seen that already on like an About Us page or on the homepage, but there's a good chance they didn't. You know, so now's the time that you can start making a real personal connection with that person. And that helps with the post-purchase rationalization, but it also helps give your newest guest the story they need to help rationalize their purchase to their friends. You know, so it's a lot easier for them to go up to, you know, their friends, their co-workers and say, I, hey, I'm staying at this bed and breakfast. I like it. Hey, did you know that they have a dog named such and such and... You know, it's a nice family atmosphere versus yeah. I'm staying at, you know, some faceless organization. Well, we actually had this. So Phil, <coughs> who is also on the podcast occasionally, he is going on a belated honeymoon and they're going to the West Coast. They're staying in California and kind of driving up and down. And this exact same thing happened. So he booked his hotel and they were staying at like a little inn. And he said at first they weren't like totally sure about it. But then once they got to know the property and went through the booking process, he was telling us all about, you know, this it's a little inn. It's got almost like a Bavarian feel and the architecture is really funky. And these are what the owners do. And so they had, you know, done a really good job of initiating that process right after he booked. And he couldn't wait to come to work and tell us about it. Exactly. People anticipate their vacation. It's, it's one of the most fun things to do. It's almost as enjoyable as the vacation itself is getting ready for it and telling people and sharing that excitement with people, right? So if you give people more information and give them more things to be excited about, they're going to go talk about it more. And then those people are going to say, well, how was it after the trip? And then you've got a bigger reach of potential guests, right, from that mm-hmm. one person. So making that connection, getting them excited is, is again, going to help your reputation beyond just that guest. So I think we've covered why we feel that these thank you pages and conversion pages are so important. But, you know, I think it's really important to talk about specific events that we can make come out of these pages. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, I, I really look at it as two types of conversion page or two types of thank you pages. You have the one form which are things like email signups, contact forms, sweepstakes. Right, all the things that don't actually involve a credit card in the process. And then you have the other type, which are the bookings, revenue generation, things like that that the person actually did pull out a credit card and, and, and make a purchase. And both of those thank you pages are critical to kind of furthering that customer down the conversion path. The first one is so important because they haven't quite yet pulled out their credit card. So making that one work as best as it can is an important process. Yeah, so really looking at that first type, the email signups, how can we make people do, or how can we make ourselves do a better job on those thank you pages? And I think really the first one is, that's a great place to gather additional customer information to be more personalized down the road. You know, so if all we did was ask for an email address and a zip code, well, that's great, but it would be great to, on the thank you page, to say, 
you know, thank you very much. We'll be sending you some additional information. You know, tell us a little bit about yourself, where we can get their name, address, and other information to to further personalize their experience. Yeah, yeah. I think that too. Like frequency of sending could be so valuable here because if you think about it from a hotel like Myrtle Beach we're in a seasonal mm-hmm. destination or any other seasonal destination a lot of times we'll see people sign up for the newsletter but then we've got unsubscribes they're sending you know people at the wrong time of year that they want to come so going ahead and saying you know when would you like to hear from us whether it's a certain sale whether it's a certain time of year whether it's a certain frequency just going ahead and setting up those expectations early on and avoiding those speed ups down the road yeah and that really does drive us to the next point of reinforcing that good decision Congratulations, you've signed up for the email newsletter. You're gonna be getting all this great information and it's gonna make that customer very happy when they end up getting it in their inbox. Yeah, and you wanna talk, Melissa, about the... the, yeah. So which test was? <laughs> Read my mind. Okay. I perfect. am reading your mind I pointed today. at you. You knew what I meant. It's perfect. We worked together Mental way too long. Mental telepathy. There you go. Um, yesterday, there was a which test one, which is now called behave. And um, for the record, we don't like the name change. Yeah, so if, go back. if you listen to this podcast, call it which test one. one. Did they test change it? Your name back. Yeah, did you test your name? That's a good point. Uh, they did a case study on um, on a contact form where it was either a one-step contact or a two-step contact. Same exact number of fields, the same fields. Um, and some people would logically say, oh, well, this is a one-step form. All I have to do is click submit. That's going to convert better than making people click next and then fill out the second part of that form. But that is not the case. Um, in fact, it was quite the opposite. The two-part form worked better. So always be testing ABCs or ABTs, always be testing, um, and don't be afraid to get that second step in there. Um, And as Misha said, if you can get more information from people after they fill out that initial newsletter sign up, where you can use your CRM system to segment those people better and send them more customized emails, all the better for everybody involved. Yeah, we always kind of have the rule of let's take the minimum in, in the initial form. Let's get the minimum information we really actually need, right? And then if there's more that we would like, like preferences and, and send frequency and things like that, let's ask for it after the fact. Because now we've already got them, we can target them, we can send emails to them, we can do what whatever we need to do. But it would be great if we could get extra information, if we knew more about them. So let's ask it on that confirmation page. And that, that's important is we're asking on the confirmation page of the first step, make sure when you're working with your web developers that it's not one big form that's split into two parts, where if they don't do both, none of it gets submitted. It's kind of a... Yeah, no. Yeah. If they just give an email first, capture that. Save right. in your database and, and, and use it the way you need to use it. But then try to get zip code and, and send frequency and any other preference you want at that point. Yeah, and then you know, next thing is, is encourage your visitors to share their great behavior, signing up for the newsletter, whatever it might be, socially. So give them the opportunity to, you know, help help promote you, you know, to your social fans. And that isn't just, hey, here's a link to Facebook and, and Twitter and other things. Actually use verbiage, call to action verbiage that explains the value in doing mm-hmm. that. Like, hey, tell your friends about this great whatever, like competition, you know. Tell your friends to enter or give them an incentive on that confirmation page. Say it's a sweepstakes. Say, hey, if you share this with your friends, you get an extra entry. So give them a reason as well to then go Mm -hmm. share it socially. I've definitely seen this a lot, but it it is typically incentivized. But for me, at least, it always works. I'm always going to do it. (laughs) Easily that, huh? Yes. (laughs) And and there's nothing wrong with giving stuff away on the thank you page. You know, we have one client who is a golf package provider. 
And what they do is anytime you sign up for a quote for your golf vacation, on every thank you page, you, I'm doing air quotes, win a free round of golf. And that can be used on any golf package you purchase in the future. But it really does encourage people to not only make a vacation request, but then it drives them back into the site to look at the course that they just won a free round on and lets them look at reviews of that course and keeps them involved in that process so you're not necessarily getting the quote and then the person's leaving the site. Right. And it makes them feel good, right? And, and it builds loyalty. Builds loyalty. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's back to that foot in the door thing. The, the initial barrier for them to give you an email address, you've already overcome it, right? They've already, you've already passed the smell test. You've already gotten to the point where they trust you enough to give you their valuable email address. So, so you've, you've won the battle, right? You're already mm-hmm. more than half the way there. You've just got to push them through the funnel further by offering incentives, by offering um, value that they didn't expect. Because normally, 9 out of 10, they fill out an email, it just says, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, and, and that's the, the big thing that, you know, both the article we're talking about and what we're talking about right now is never do that. Always make sure you're helping that person through the conversion process. You know, there's the old sales saying that once you have someone nodding, that's the time to keep selling. Mm-hmm. And it really is true true here as well. But uh, that's really just one part of the, the conversion process, getting that person to share an email address, whatever else it might be. The next one is once that person is actually booked on your site. So they've made a reservation and they're coming in, say, three weeks. What can you do on that thank you page and leading up to their stay to make that good customer into a great customer by getting to them to upgrade their stay, add additional services, and whatnot. Download the mobile app. <clears throat> Perfect example. Share it on social media. There's a lot of things you can do at that point. Yeah, so I mean, I think the, the thing to keep in mind here is, even though they did convert to what your revenue managers and everybody else would consider to be the ideal conversion event, you're not yet done. That person is nodding their head and they've already made the big expenditure. They've spent, could be thousands, several thousand dollars on a vacation. Now's the time where you can go to that customer and say, for $10, you can turn that basic room into the suite room. The customer's mind, they're just making a $10 purchase. You know, the thank you page and subsequent emails to that customer is a perfect time to help upgrade their room, but then also add those great additional services. So they're going on a vacation and they realize that, oh, for $7 a day, I can add breakfast and I'm saving money. Well, they're going to justify that to themselves. This is my only vacation of the year. I don't want to shortchange myself. I might as well go ahead and do this also. Yeah, and we did a whole episode on upselling a few episodes ago. So go back and check that out. But it, I mean, it's absolutely true. That money is spent. Mm-hmm. Anything now is incremental and you're a lot more likely to get them to spend money. Their, their purse strings are loosest at this yeah. point once they've already bought the vacation. Yeah, and everything they're comparing their next purchase to is to that really big purchase that they mm-hmm. just made. Mm-hmm. So, I just spent $500 now it's only another yeah, $7 a day. Yeah, I, I can handle that. So. All right, I'm on your ticket next time. <laughs> Come on. We're all getting on, going to Airbnb and getting out of Myrtle Beach uh, because of the hurricane. As a hotelier, you really have two thank you pages. You have the initial thank you page when you literally click submit or whatever that button is on the booking form online, but hopefully you are sending out an email confirmation to that guest 
right away that they're going to get in their inbox right away. And there is another chance and that is basically another thank you page and there's another opportunity to upsell and, and get people to share and all those other things. So don't forget about that email. And then a pre-arrival email or multiple pre-arrival emails as well. You know, we're doing that with a lot of our clients now, especially those that use our mobile app, Guest Express. We're sending a dedicated one to promote, you know, that's on the confirmation page, on the um, confirmation email, but it's also a dedicated pre-arrival email and the regular pre-arrival email as well because we really, really want people to download the app because if they do, they're going to spend more money with us and they're going to be more loyal because we're engaging with them during this day as well. If you look at the stats of email delivery and page, I guess, interaction, the confirmation page is the most likely page to get printed and saved and shared. The confirmation emails are, bar none, the highest open rate emails that we send at any given time. They read the emails, they print the emails out, they forward it to their friends. So you're not just necessarily selling to the person who bought the vacation, you're also selling to anybody else that they forward it to within their group. You know, so use that you know, amplification of your message to get the entire party that's going on the vacation to say, hey, did you know it's only $7 to eat breakfast every morning? We should do that. It's prime real estate with active eyeballs. Right, exactly. So this is a perfect time to say, add an incentive to go to an on-property bar or restaurant. Like mm-hmm. why not put $10, 10% off or a $5 or a free appetizer or something, come, come to the bar while you're here. Because you're gonna get more people coming and using your amenities if you tell them to come use your amenities and if you give them a reason to come use mm-hmm. your amenities. And that's the prime time to do it. Don't wait till they get to check in. Get them excited about it. Get them prepared for it. Get them planning about it before they get it. Yeah, let them take some action too. So let's say it's a, a printed coupon. If they bring that printed coupon to the bar, or better yet, the coupons on the app when they download your properties app that they bring and show to the bar. There's a lot of different things you can do there to to integrate all your your marketing effort. But really, there's there's a lot of things that you you should be doing. There's some things that you should not be doing. I think the most important thing is when you're going through and setting up your site and your conversion process, make sure that you're testing and you're looking at that thank you page. So often I see you know, customers who go through that process, they make sure the form works, but then they ignore everything beyond that point. Mm-hmm. Really keep in mind that that thank you page, you know, from a conversion perspective, is more likely to convert somebody than a lot of the other pages on your site that you may have really been focusing on. Yeah, so that kind of brings us to some of the do's and don'ts of, you know, thank you page development. So number one, we definitely feel like it's super important to focus on your design here. This page not only needs to be functional, but it needs to look good as well. And it needs to direct people to exactly what you want them to do next. So really spend some time, whether that's, you know, working with a template or working with your designers and developers. um, But, you know, working as a team to come up with, you know, what you really feel like and what people feel like as well as the best design for and use of this page. Yeah, and, and then personalize it as well. This could be the very first time you've had a chance to know who this person actually is. Not from an IP address level, but from a first and last name. So saying, thank you, Misha, for booking this stay and their personal information. This is the time to, to start building that personalized you know, relationship. Yeah, and then always start thinking about the next step. Like, okay, so they've gotten to this point in a funnel. But it's not the end of the journey because they're going to come stay with you or they just gave you an email address and we need them to book. So always think about what's the best thing to present to them next. Sometimes it's they booked, so let's try to get them to spend more money on property. Sometimes it's 
they gave me an email address, let me give them more reasons to now go on the book. Maybe it's a special, maybe it's a blog article, maybe it's uh, just sending me to the booking engine. But give me what's next. Because otherwise, if you don't give them a ne what's next, if it's just thank you, then next is closing that browser mm -hmm. or going and getting lost on Facebook or something else, right? So you want to keep them with their attention on you Give them something to do. Well, there's more than converted. one funnel. I feel like that's important to know too. Yeah. Like you, you get out of one funnel, put them in the next funnel, get that process started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's almost better to start looking at it as a conversion cycle, where all you're doing is moving from one part of the cycle to the next, not necessarily through a funnel and getting you know dumped out. There's one more thing that we definitely all should be doing. It's probably Melissa's favorite. Testing. Test. 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 Always test. Always. Always test. Never assume anything. You know what they say about assuming. Never assume. There's no reason not to be testing those spanky pages and be clear on the expectations of the goals of that test. Again, if we're not talking about making a purchase right at that point, if we're talking about getting some more information or getting them to another part of the site, make sure those tests are set up to measure the correct goals. Yeah, so an example of that, right, it, it isn't always going for the home run. So we found on some of our, our sites that, for example, the virtual tours of the rooms, if people see those, they're a lot more likely to go on to convert. So why not, when someone's giving you an email address, put forward the best information, the best messaging of the why they should convert with you, why they should book direct, why they should pick your property over the competition. So showing them, here's the 10 reasons to book with us versus OTA. The, here are the reasons you book with us versus our competition. Here's the best stuff we have. Show them that once they've given you an email address because they may not have gone through all the different pages on their website. So that's the kind of stuff you need to test because that's going to impact conversion rate. Yes, agreed. So what about some things we shouldn't do on this page? Well, there's a, there's a few things that you shouldn't do. And if we were to kind of summarize that, both with what you know Talia was saying in her article and what, what we're talking about now is the first one, is don't drop the visitor on a dead end. You've just got a conversion, they go to a thank you page, if that is just a blank page or a page that has a little pathetic, you know, thank you for signing up and leave them there, that's a big ball drop. Nobody likes dead ends. No, nobody does. They're scary. No one likes ball <laughs> drops. Yeah, those are embarrassing. It's scary and embarrassing, you know, if you have a you know blank page for your, your thank you page. And then next one is do not assume that they've converted, that you're done converting. There's so much more to do to get them through the process. And like I just mentioned, get them through the conversion cycle, not necessarily just through a funnel. Good, any other final thoughts on that? I feel like, I don't know, you might edit this out. I have no idea, <laughs> but I feel like you know, we have not even really done a super fantastic job of practicing what we preach. And I really enjoyed this article. And I think, you know, Talia had a lot of really good points. And so I'm looking forward to, you know, coming back with some ideas of how we can make our conversion forms better on our own website, you know, presenting some ideas to some of our clients and how we can really make their stand out. Yeah, I mean, no one's perfect, right? And, and we definitely don't always practice what we preach. We're just here to kind of tell you best practices. I think we'd be crazy not to implement some of these on our own Absolutely. website and all of our clients' websites as well. All right, so with that said, let's go into, we had another listener question of the week. Woohoo! Our question of the week comes You almost from... sang that. That was kind of cool. It's <laughs> yeah. like a half sing. A half sing? What was yeah. the rest of the song? <laughs> Jeremy's Adventures has a question for you. <laughs> <laughs> 
So our question does come from Jeremy's Adventures. I don't know what his shenanigans are, but he sounds like a fun guy. I want to go on adventures with Jeremy. I We probably can. I've got his Twitter handle. We'll reach out. Um, his question was, what is your suggestion to a property whose revenue manager does not see the benefit of keeping rate parity? Okay, so let's back up a little bit. So rate parity can mean a few different things. And, and it's different than rate integrity, right? So rate integrity is when you're dropping rates and because of occupancy. Rate parity is when you have the same rate as other distribution channels of your property, right? So say you're publishing your rates out on Expedia or, um, or other OTAs or TripAdvisor, wherever it is. The problem in the past has always been that OTAs would show one rate and your property would show a different rate. And you say had a soft weekend coming up, so you dropped the rate on the OTAs, but for whatever reason, it was too much, too cumbersome. You didn't drop it everywhere and you didn't drop it on your own website. And then your rates are out of whack. So that, that's what we're talking about with rate parity. The rate parity is the practice of keeping your rates equal across every distribution channel, right? And so there are different stakeholders in this argument. And depending on your perspective, it, it you can have a different argument, right? So if you're an OTA, you would suggest, and in contracts a lot of times, you will mandate that hotels have to show the same rate on their property site as is on the OTA. They cannot show a lower rate on their property site. Now this is a practice that in Europe especially was recently challenged and overruled. So now some European countries can show a lower rate on their hotel website. On the flip side, if you're in a part of a chain like a Hilton or a Marriott, the chains themselves enforce rate parity. So if you don't show the same rate on your property site and the OTAs, you can get fined by the chain as well. So there's a lot of there's a couple of different stakeholders that are forcing this. And from a hotel's perspective, um, it can be a challenge because you've got a lot of different distribution channels to manage. And if you're doing that manually or your PMS doesn't distribute that automatically, you, it's a lot of work. It really can be. But here's what I would say to people that, that struggle with why it's important, right? Is I would step back and look at it from ultimately the most important perspective, which is the consumer. And from a consumer's perspective, when you're looking for a property and you're, you're going to be, 99% of people are going to be looking at multiple channels. No one goes straight to one channel, looks at it, books it, and they're done, right? They're going to go to Google. They're going to look at Expedia. They're going to look at TripAdvisor. They're going to look at your own website. And when you start seeing a disparity in the rate, it causes confusion in the marketplace, and that can cause distrust. The other challenge is from a, a monetary perspective, which we've seen personally, and Melissa can talk about this, because we've had a couple of properties that have come to us and say, hey, our conversion rate on our website has decreased and we're not sure why. And then Melissa's analytics team would go and investigate this and we'd see that, well, at the same time that our website conversion rate decreased, our OTA conversion rate increased significantly. Now let's track back and see what happened. Oh, that's when we changed the rates on the OTAs, but not on our own website. So now we have a disparity and it's encouraging people to book on OTAs, not on our own website. So whenever there's a disparity, you're forcing people to make a choice. And that choice is always, always gonna be, I'm gonna book where it's cheapest. So why would you, as a rate manager, want people to go book on a third party channel when you're paying 15% versus booking on your own website 
where you're not paying a percentage, right? That's ultimately the argument. So to convince your rate manager, I would say that that person that doesn't understand rate parity and its importance, I would question whether they're the right person for that job. But I would also encourage them, I'm not telling you to fire them today, I'm just saying they should be more educated. Tell them to go read, tell them to go look at the data, tell them that the data really tells the true story, right? The data is what's important. And whenever you have a lower rate on the OTAs and you have on your website, your conversion rate is gonna drop. We've seen that hundreds of times on hundreds of clients and it really hurts your bottom line because you don't want people booking on OTAs unless you have to. You wanna minimize your reliance on OTAs. OTAs are important. They play, play a really important role in the ecosystem, but any opportunity you get to book someone on your own website, you wanna do it. And the best way to do that is to maintain rate parity and have incentives for booking direct. You guys want have anything else to add to that? Well, I think on top of that, you know, when you, a lot of times when you book through an OTA, you don't own that customer. So I think that's another part that was a missing piece of the puzzle that if they go to an Expedia or a TripAdvisor or whatever, and they find that rate that's lower, they're gonna continue going there in the future. Yeah, no question. And rate is the most important decision-making factor for a consumer. If they picked your hotel, rate is, is that most important factor at that point, right? We always look at the, the factors, rate, location, amenities, and quality. Those kind of being the, the factors, rate is always the most important, so. And if they're gonna be booking at your hotel regardless, all the other factors kind of go out the window and it just becomes, they're going to go where the, the rate is cheapest. It doesn't matter what your loyalty programs are in some cases. It is going to be, I'm booking where I get the best deal. Yeah. And your hotel or you know, TripAdvisor in some cases is the only place you're going to be able to actually keep that customer when they make that booking. Yeah. And you're actually seeing the big chains making a big play to about rate parity now by offering lower rates if you're a loyalty member, right? So this is something the OTAs are trying to fight, obviously, because they, they, it's going to be hurt them. But if you're a Marriott or a Hilton and you say, okay, if you're a member, you get 10% off, so you just but you just have to log into our website to see these rates, that gets them around the legalities of the rate parity issues on the OTAs, and it's going to suck some of that, that traffic and the bookings that were going through the OTAs back to the direct booking channel, which ultimately is, we've talked about this, we had a whole episode talking about the book direct war that's going on between hotels and, and the OTAs. But ultimately, that's the goal of the hotel industry is try to wean themselves off of these third-party distribution channels. So Stuart, if you had to rank the importance of rate parity versus rate management in terms of yielding, which is more important? Huh, man, that's a tough question. I mean, I think they're both very important for different reasons. I think. Um, the yield, yielding is important in terms of looking at the market conditions, looking at demand, looking at you know occupancy in your area, looking at your comp set and seeing what they're doing. But I think if you're a great property and if you do a good job and you have really good quality res reviews on TripAdvisor, the, the, the rate related to the market matters a lot less because people are willing to pay more for a better product, right? So I think you can maintain a higher ADR than your market average or than the demand um, would necessitate if you have a great product. But I think regardless, if 
regardless of the quality of your product, if you don't have rate parity, if you're showing your rates lower on OTAs, you're giving away 15, 20, 25% of your revenue off the top every time because no one is going to make the booking on your own website if they can get, say, 20, 30, $50 on an OTA. Hope that helps, Jeremy. Sorry we insulted this revenue manager. Yeah, we're going to get a question from the revenue manager next week. I don't think we're going to get a question. We yeah, might get some <laughs> expletives. It might be a passive-aggressive swipe back at Jeremy or whoever asked yeah. the question. Um, but thank you for the question. Please uh, send your questions in to us on Twitter at Fuel Travel. And we've gotten a few really good questions lately. We really appreciate those. They're great. Yeah, keep them coming. What, and the cat gifts. I did get a cat gift. That was good. Yeah, yeah. We, we answer questions. I you believe send that was from gifts. last week's question. Questioner. 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 I think it was Amit. Amit. Amit, who was a guy, not a girl. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, We're sorry confirmed. for the Gender comment. confirmed. <laughs> yes. All right. So that does it for this episode. Again, you can get uh, the full original article from Copy Hackers by Talia Wolf from probably my favorite business name that I've heard in a long time, Banana Splash. So you can get that original article on our show notes, which you can get from fueltravel.com slash podcast and then click on episode 26. And where can they find you guys on the web, Pete? They can find me on Twitter at PDiMeo. It's P-D-I-M-A-I-O. And I am at M-A Kavanaugh, M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H on Twitter. You should just read that as Ma Kavanaugh. Yeah. Ma. We're going to stop calling you Ma. Uh, You can find me at Marketing Misha. That is at Marketing M-E-I-S-H-A. And you can find me at Stuartbutler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel, and we would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to leave a review for us on iTunes, because that is how other people find our podcast. And you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I want a golden egg, and I want it now. Stuart, was that you talking?